0: Hello, welcome to episode 74 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in the driver's seat, but struggling with poor visibility as we dive into another episode with almost no idea what we're going to talk about or where this might go. Luckily, though, we have one of the bright young-ish minds of the golf media joining us in the studio for the day. Golf Australia Magazine Deputy Editor Editor, Jimmy Emanuel makes his good, good debut, if I'm not mistaken. We'll check that with him in just a moment. But before I bring in the youngster... Let me introduce my regular co-host and savant, according to some of the Twitter feedback after last week's Bumbugle Dunes episode. Adrian Logue, if you thought last week was a rambling chat, strap yourself in, because this is going to be completely directionless today.
1: That always works out well. <laughs>
0: what could possibly go yeah, wrong? That's- Indeed. Savant, what was that about? You really do have a savant-like recall of stuff, don't you? I don't know. Who said that? Ross Funningham, wasn't it? Oh, was it Ross? My, my Love of Golf. He has a podcast, does not he, Ross? He's got a Drummond store in Melbourne, I think. And- yep, yep. Has a um, podcast, my love of golf. Yeah, yeah Ross. Uh, Thumbs up.
1: Cessnock boy. Is that right? Yep. Oh, shouldn't you be natural Rapping enemies my, like Dog and Cat? Yeah, yeah and up in my neck of the woods. He's declared war, I think, on Twitter. He wants to have a match. Cessnock We've got a Rumble in the Hunter. Yeah. Okay, we could sell tickets to that. That'll be good. Ross,
0: you're on. I don't know who I'm backing yet. I'll have to be on <laughs> Ross is a much better golfer than me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> not setting the bar all that high, in fairness. Uh, yes, good uh, good luck with that. From all the way across the street, as I mentioned, Jimmy is the deputy editor of Golf Australia magazine. He's here today to tell us what a cushy job that is. I jest, of course, it's not a cushy job. Mate, good of you to come into the studio. Nice to chat. Absolute pleasure. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Yes, indeed. What a miserable
1: trip it is from across the street as well. Would you stop that? That's my
0: commute. I have to do it every day. You've ruined it for me. I didn't notice how miserable it was until you pointed it out. Again, Logue walked into the studio this morning shaking his head after a bad commute, but he did bring Danish and coffee, so Mm -hmm. things worked out all right. So, directionless, but we were just chatting before we turned on the record button. Is it recording? Oh, yeah, we did turn on the record button. Uh, Let's talk a bit of professional golf, but not what we normally expect. We know how to green bogey two of the last three the other day, which was mm-hmm. disappointing for her. Difficult but to watch. She is really coming along in leaps and bounds, I think. Watch out for her for the rest of this year. The player impact program, Jimmy. What's your take as part of the golf media? It's been pretty controversial stuff. I wrote something about it. I think you will probably write something about it. I'm sure everyone's going to write something about it at some point. Let's talk about it and where it fits into this whole, the back end of professional golf that most fans don't ever think about or understand.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Everyone will write about it, talk about it um, because it's interesting. Uh, But it sort of plays back to what's been going on in professional golf for a long, long time where the rich get richer and it looks after the big guys and not the lower level, but obviously with an intention of holding off raids of good players from things like the Premier Golf League and everything like that. Um, It makes sense for sure you got to look after the guys that make your money, which Tiger Woods is number one for the PGA Tour. So. If you've got competition. PGA Tour Correct. has
0: never had competition before, but the PGL is legitimate competition, isn't it? I mean, Saudi Arabia is the one entity you might think has deeper pockets than the PGA Tour.
2: Well, the only thing that's been anything like a, a, a bit of opposition is the European Tour, which has been almost amalgamated into the PGA Tour. So that's always been the model, just take over your your rivals, but that doesn't look like it can happen with the PGL as unlikely as it now seems at the moment, so they've had to make a bit of a play and change some things and uh, it, it looks like it'll work because a lot of those top players won't go wandering outside the States if they're already getting guaranteed money at home, I would have thought. I wonder if the PGL is done and dusted, they're suspiciously quiet, we might come back to that
0: a bit later. As Jimmy says there, I wrote it in a piece yesterday as well, Though the right thing to do is to spread some of that money among the lower tiers where guys really are struggling financially and in all other ways. But that is exactly what golf is not about, isn't it? The PGA Tour deliberately keeps the right? Corn Ferry Tour lean. It's not a career path. It's designed to weed out those who aren't good enough and promote those who are. It's cruel, mm-hmm. but it's is it not the best system for golf? I mean,
1: it, it's, it's right. I mean, sure, they should probably have more money go to some of those lower tiers but this isn't really about that it's it's not that they've just found 40 million spare and they're working out how to distribute it this is about uh working out or aligning themselves a little bit with other sports and i'm not talking about trying to get equity for the top golfers to be the same getting paid the same as lebron james or something like that it's it's more about who's actually bringing people through the gates and how can we reward them a little bit more because, and I think we experience that here in Australia. Oh, that like, yeah. You have think about who you put on a banner in George Street to promote the Australian Open. That's the person you want a little bit of extra money to go to, and you. And guess what? We pay appearance fees to those people. How many of them so, are in the world? How many of those players are there Legitimately, well, in the you world? and I looked Be through honest. the top 50 <laughs> in the world list and tried to come up with go through team, the man. top 10.
2: And I, I think genuinely, well, I think I think there's yep. 30 guys in the top 50 who've never won a major at the moment. Yeah, and So you've got to be a major winner, surely, to be getting some of that guaranteed well, cash.
0: Well, not, not necessarily. John, John Daly, I know he's won two majors, John Daly. Even if he hadn't won two majors, Daly is a guy that people will go to watch. Yes, true. Yeah, very true. Whether he had one major or not. So there's a weird mix of performance and personality. Tiger's always been interesting. Personality-wise, Tiger's a dud. He's never said anything. He almost never said it. He's done some interesting things uh, that we found out about later on. But he's not a great personality. He's just His performance is so astonishing that people want to go and watch him. Mm-hmm. Adam Scott's only in Australia does Adam Scott have that effect. Yeah, Other,
1: absolutely. P- yeah. Outside of Australia, people think he's boring. I think he made the top 10. He did the make pip the top 10 of the player impact if, thing. If yeah. they did it in theory last year or the year before or something, which doesn't surprise me. Like yeah, you know, he's he's a, a marketing machine. Yeah, but he'd be always fringe on that pip, I think.
0: Agreed. Let's just have a look at the world's top 10 here and let's go through the names. Who would you pay to go and watch? Rory, Speeth. Well, let's see if they're well, in, Rory's the, top not 10. in the top 10. Speeth's <laughs> not in the top 10. <laughs> Johnson, Thomas, Rahm, Shoffley, Deschambeau, Morikawa, Reed. Funnily enough, I would. Hatton, I might, but you'd have to be a golf nerd. Webb Simpson, and Brooks Kepka. There's your top 10. I Out of those. A, I think
2: that's a lot of golf nerd type people that would be attracted. I mean, Xander Shoffley's is worth watching in person, I can tell you, but. People outside of golf don't
1: know who Xander Schauffele is. You're not putting him in the banner on George Street? No, absolutely not. No, is that, absolutely if not. that's the litmus but test, I, he doesn't, nor he doesn't pass. Nor would you put
0: Dustin Johnson on
1: that banner because no. outside of golf, nobody's going to
0: recognize him either. So really, to me, those players are well. read for all the wrong reasons. Even people outside of golf, I think, will know of Patrick. He's the villain of the game. He and Shambo are golf's villains. Mm-hmm. They're filling that role. So there's two that you might Brooks Kepka former world number 1 impressive golf game uh, don't think you don't think that'd go too well. Cantlay now. Hideki, I think people would watch. Rory definitely, Berger Fitzpatrick Horschel, Sung Golf nerds again would go hey, watch Sung Jae. Uh, what ranking's Horshall now? Uh, 18 in the world. Oh, that's, there's, only me, people, worse now, there's only 17 people. There's
1: only 17 men on the planet better at golf. I'm the reaching future. for another, another <laughs> you, you thought uh, the walk Danish was pastry, but I, I, there's <laughs> nothing. I've got nothing. Casey
0: Sheffler westwood 22 in the world. Harris English-Cameron-Smith. I think Cameron Smith has a little bit of that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's got Cam a bit of the Smith personality very watchable. Well. And I don't think it's just that we're Australians, I think. No, 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 I agree. Cam Smith. He's captured the attention of people with the mullet haircut. Well, it's not just that as well. Like, he's just got something different about him yeah. that... That cuts through extraordinary shortcut too. Yeah, and you're going to get to Leishman as well, I guess. But Leishman has that as well. And again, I don't think it's just that we're Australian. They're no, no, no. I don't. I
0: don't know that Leishman is a very appealing. Well, fighter. they're both characters. A, they're, yeah, that's they, exactly.
2: Smith's right. got fishing. Leishman's got beer. They've got something else about them that he, the Americans love as well. Yeah. Uh, Wolf twenty five. Abraham answer. Tommy Fleetwood. I would go and watch Beyond Golf.
0: Mm, not yet. No. If he wins a major, I think he would break into that. Zalatoris certainly in America. Ryan Palmer. Joachim Nyman. Then we get to the one I think is probably the equal first biggest the name is Jordan Spieth mm-hmm. at thirty one. So that's the top thirty one players in the world. What have we got about three or four there? You might think about paying an appearance fee too. So on that basis, is it not just the sensible business decision the PGA Two has made, like to say, right for the first time ever, we've had this legitimate threat, so we're just going to shore up our business by making sure we pay these players. We'll devise whatever metric we have to to make sure they get paid the money. What's the misunderstanding, though, of people in the public and a lot of people in the media, who seem to think this money should have been used for something
2: else? Well, I think it's it's the appearance money. The PJ tour has never admitted they pay. Every other tour on the planet and men's golf certainly pays appearance money. And the PJ Tour doesn't pay it supposedly. Not technically, though. Not, Not technically. But every but every sponsor has a corporate day. There's there's a way around it, but it's just it's upfront and almost owning appearance money. I would have thought that. You, you're not paying for individual events because you're already they're already set up to to look after events that don't get the stars that often with the the new scheduling that they brought in a little while ago. So it's 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 giving appearance money to players that demand it el- elsewhere.
0: Yeah, who weren't exactly who earn it elsewhere. So here's the next question that I still don't know we've got an answer to. I don't know if I've got an answer to it. Is the PGL more appealing than the PGA Tour? Let's say it went ahead. Their their deal is 48 players. They wouldn't take just the top 48 in the world. They would certainly want most of the names on that list. Of course, Tiger Woods is the one we didn't mention there, but he's
2: the biggest of all. Is it an appealing concept for fans? For fans, I think it is um, because it could be slightly different. I think we've spoken about it before. It's going to have a team's aspect to it, so it it would have a different sort of element to it. It's not just PGA Tour in another country. Um, so I think it'd be worth watching, even if it's not the top, 48 players if it's 48 players from the top 200 in the world those lower guys that don't currently have a profile to the level of the other guys will be raised up because they'll get more time they'll be stars of a team so i think as a fan it would be worth watching really they only need 12 decent names don't they because if you're gonna have 12 teams
0: of four you have one captain and then you can have three whoever you want those captains those big name players
1: can hand pick who they want sort of beneath
0: them so can it work without tiger woods the pgl
1: Possibly. It's, it makes for a difficult launch. The timing isn't great now with Phil's popularity on the way, and he would have been fantastic five years ago to launch something like this, and Tiger as well it would have had would have been better in the mix then. If Tiger's done as a player, does that change the PGL? Yeah, well, I think
2: if it probably I cheap, gives cheap them years. a bit more of a chance if they don't get as many top players because they're not going up against Tiger Woods in the PGL. Nobody field. has Tiger. If nobody they're... has Tiger, then... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, you know, it's a race between two closer matched entities, really.
1: I think forty-eight players was too much. There's a lot of good ideas in the PGL um, and Formula the, One based idea. Yeah, yeah, the team thing I like that, and, and Formula One only has twenty drivers. Um, so, look, just looking at that, I think even twenty drivers in Formula One, it's a little bit hard to keep, or you, you actually interest really starts to tail off on you know the the last five of those drivers. Um, so, I'd be trying to keep it much more sort of high quality right across the board. Which they might actually
0: be doing as we speak.
1: Is that right? No. I don't know. That's
0: Well, they've gone very oh, quiet. Okay. And that and yeah. there's been some changes in the background there. So it's quite possible what they're doing is redrawing the whole thing. Oh, yeah. The Saudi-Arabian connection is still there very strong. Which means they've got the money to do whatever they want.
1: My issue with them has always been, you know, partly it's Saudi money. My issue with it has always been that they're just lazy. like
0: <laughs> You didn't like their logo, did you? Their logo start?
1: is crap. They, you, they obviously spent no money on that. They don't even have a website. No. Um, they've made no effort. This is just all talk. It's all talk. Well, that's all. That's all. That they is produced it, one piece of paper mm-hmm. which outlined those rules, and you could just tell like that would have been dictated, and they would have had twenty bloody meetings to like argue over the points of that. And it's just just rich blokes sitting around. With their brandy snifters.
0: like like <laughs> the soccer super league bubble that they talk about, the billionaires bubble. Isn't that yeah. the idea of being just, a
2: disruptor? Just you don't come in with particular organisation, just throw something at, at the establishment just and then run away.
1: Being lazy though, and their only qualification for a seat at the table is lots and lots of money. money yeah. and not that you know, not I'm against not against brandy at all. Brandy's sitting around brandy snifters, It sounds great, but the. <laughs> the you're it, probably the only one who's ever sat with a brandy snifter. <laughs> I certainly never, had.
0: Well, I certainly just, never have. I certainly never I feel though. like
1: it's all so unearned. It's, it's just exactly the same behaviour that you have for acquisitions of, of big entities and stuff like that. There's, they didn't actually do the work to run golf tournaments, and they need somebody to run the tournament for them to actually earn the, the day-to-day task of running a tour. So it's all so no small task, by the way. That's right. Which is why the European tour was such a target for them, because there's an organisation that runs tournaments. Infrastructure's in place. The infrastructure's there, and but again, that that is just so lazy to just your seat at the table is bought by the fact that you've just got a bunch of money and you're just gonna you're not going to actually put the work in. You're just gonna the hardest you're going to work is you know sitting in a sofa, trying to sound commanding, you know. Handing down Wa- your, your, your deal, book. yeah, yeah waving your checkbook. So, that—that's my objection to the whole thing. If this was coming from people who actually knew Love the, game, the game, loved the game, and uh, had served the game, mm-hmm. I'd feel like they had got their best interests of the game at heart. And then you look down the list and you think, oh, okay, the way they execute some of those points will probably be pretty good, and it'll be entertaining, and I'll enjoy that. But these blokes, I just don't trust them. Chuck a bunch of money at it. Is the PGA Tour response the right one, Jimmy?
0: Just throw <clears throat> fight money with money or do the PGA Tour ultimately need to think about some of those the team aspect and some of those other things that are interesting? We've complained about it ad nauseum. The diet of 72-hole stroke play surely can't be sustainable forever. It'll always be the predominant form of professional golf
2: because it's what the players want, but it can't be the only one, surely, can it? Well, yeah, I mean, to Logue's point about money with the PGL, golf's got a long history of money being the talking point. Nike became one of the biggest manufacturers of equipment because they had money and they bought the biggest players. You know, so they they bought a seat at the table with money and and then elevated themselves. So it's not it's not then got early. burned. Then got it's a, fu- it's a funny business, golf. Uh, isn't yeah, it? I, I don't think if the PGL spends all their money, they're guaranteed a long and right. fruitful life. So, it, it, the, money talks in golf, and so the PJ tour is going down the track that. Everyone else has before. That's that's what they did when Norman tried to sort of get the world tour off the ground. They took it off him by saying, "Well, we've got money and we can create our own thing," which wasn't exactly what he was trying to do, but shut him down pretty quickly. And that was probably more through power of money than anything else. Well, they held
0: all the cards, didn't they? So yeah. in that case, it wasn't legitimate competition. Murdoch at that time didn't have pockets as deep as Saudi Arabia. And he certainly wouldn't have reached as deeply into Correct, yeah. for golf. Whereas the PGLs, this legitimate threat where it's okay. That, no. And that wasn't not nice. So Fincham held all the cards there. He just quite simply said, yes, you can go and play on Norman's World Tour. No, you can never come and play back here. Yeah. Every PGA Tour player said, oh, I don't think so. That's all too hard. That's changed, though, hasn't it? Didn't Rory say not long ago, the game is now much less about competition. It's actually just entertainment, which is true. Mm-hmm. But you don't want the players thinking that, do you? <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> do you, know, you don't, know what I mean? No, not at all. Yeah, you don't say the, the head thoughts out loud. No. <laughs> but that,
2: that probably ties into what you're saying about what the PJ Tour needs to do is probably look at the product. Hmm. It's pretty simple. I mean, they've, they've got a strong product. I'm sure the, the ratings numbers in America are still really good and outside are still great. Um, Would you have the kahunas to do it if you were Jay Monahan? Even if you knew it
0: was, is what needed to be done, I don't think they're thinking that way. But even if they were, would you have the kahunas to take a product that is clearly not broken, in fact has never been in a better position, and say, you know what we're going to do here, fellas? Change it.
2: Well, I, the, the player impact's uh, idea is that it rewards the better players. 72-hole stroke play rewards the best players. Mm. Any one of those PGA Tour players can have a great 18-hole round of golf, but doing it four days in a row is the test to be the best player in the field that week. So that sort of falls into line with what the PGA Tour is about. But things like the Zurich Classic, they know are, are popular and successful and more people are paying attention to the team Zurich Classic than are paying attention. Yeah. Didn't grab yeah. me, but did uh, you? Uh, more than the Valspar last week. And the Valspar's played a tough golf course that's interesting and they go there every year. But it, it grabs more people who are casual observers, I think, to see – as as kitschy as it may be, walk-up music and players interacting with a teammate a little bit more. So they're doing a little bit of it. I'm sure behind the scenes they look at it more deeply, Uh, but the PJ Tour also strikes as a, oh, it's not broke, let's not fix it just yet. Um, But the PGL might be the thing that forces them to do so, and, and also their closer alignment with the European Tour, who have been willing to do... Shot clock masters, golf sixes, they might give them a bit of encouragement. They could do worse than listening to Keith Pelley and the people he's got on board who are willing to embrace a bit of change. I agree with that. Is the European Tour potentially,
0: with this arrangement between the PGA Tour and the European Tour alone, if you're Jay Monahan, would the sensible thing to
1: do be to test a whole bunch of ideas on the European Tour? New ideas. Yeah, well, you know, they that showcase event they had at Tenerife last week was looking pretty tight. So, um, they should try some, you know, it's a great great way to try some things. Like, that, that would have been a great week to try some things, to be honest. Like, it was the most lackluster golf course you, you're going to see in professional golf all year.
2: You don't like terraced fairways? <laughs> 25 <laughs> under. I don't care how easy golf.
0: you think a golf course is. 25 under is a staggering total for four rounds of golf, is it not? Absolutely. I mean, he won by five, but... 20 under, I mean, how many 62s were shot on the week? Two or three? I've played in scramble teams, Ambrose teams, where you might have 63, and they couldn't play any better than that, the four of us together. It's like there's blokes there doing it on their own on much tougher golf courses than this. If you ever wondered how much better the pros are than us, they're that much better. Just, uh, Just staggering. I'd love to see them try something with the European Tour. And it's look, it's a huge opportunity, but it solves a lot of problems for Monahan. He doesn't have to fix what's not broken on the PGA Tour. But he could try – there's no reason they couldn't have a PGL-style competition going on the European Tour. Yeah, absolutely. Where you could then have – you could open up spots for some of the big-name players to play in some of their bigger events around the Open Championship, some of those Lynx events that'd be part of these team things. It's a, If they're smart about it, that could really – it could actually be good for world golf. Now, that's not why they would do it, because that's not their reason for being, but it could actually be really good. and it, One or two of those events could end up here in Australia, selfishly. That could be – Good for us. So I wonder
2: whether the creativity exists though in the organization? Well, there's been there's been no signs that they're willing to do anything slightly out of the ordinary with the Corn Ferry Tour, with the Latino America tour, with the McKenzie tour. Admittedly those are feeder tours, so you need there are players. They're playerships, aren't they? Yeah, you need players who are focusing on but there's the opportunity to try something tournament format wise that might just be a little bit different. Mm. I mean the most daring the PJ Tour has been in the past is to come up with a modified stable foot event. And right. they, did they also not play Sunday to
0: Wednesday on the Corn Ferry Tour a couple of times? Yeah, they have done that. They've done yeah, that yeah, a couple yeah. of times? Yeah. Which I thought
2: was an interesting experiment. A lot of well, think I that. think the LPGA, the last couple of weeks, playing Wednesday to Saturday, Saturday. is fantastic. Uh, it, yeah. it, it gets more eyeballs on those brilliant, good Agreed. players. But, so. but it, also,
0: it also, it's the LPGA sort of saying straight up, we're the secondary product, which is, there's issues about your marketing and stuff around that. So I kind of get that. But there's a madness to Sundays in America <laughs> with the golf that's going on around the place where the entire
2: attention span is completely divided because you've just got all these different entities fighting over the, the one audience. So. Well, even even here, just to get TV times on, on you know, pay TV for the golf on a Sunday morning or Monday morning here time, yeah. is between <clears throat> the PGA Tour Champions, PJ Tour, Corn Ferry Tour, if there's a late-finishing European event somewhere, the LPGA event – you, you, there's not enough channels.
1: It's a real dilemma for the half a dozen people who want to watch all of those. That's...
2: And the people like me have to preview them and find I was, them I was, I Well, sure? I was going to say, I've
0: done this too. There are weeks, not since COVID, but there are weeks where there could be legitimately 12 professional events around the world and every single one of them will have more than one Australian. Yep. So I used to write previews for the PGA's website here in Australia. Of course, they have to mention everybody who's playing anywhere. It could be a three- or four-hour job by the time just looking through all the tours and finding out and who was playing.
1: You still wouldn't do it as good as Bruce Young.
0: No, or well, Tony <laughs> Wiebeck, who I noticed now, do yeah, it more Tony. for the PGA. I, I didn't read the whole story there. What's the role there? He's,
2: he's well, he's, he's been, he's been, doing, it he's been it. doing it for a while, but it's expanded. But I haven't seen anything as to what the actual role is and stuff. But he does, he'll do a good job of he will. Tony. He's, he's a very good uh, Lovely very boy. Good, good guy. reporter. And, Weird. Loves writing.
0: Ever since he told me that, I've never been able to look at him the same way. He said, I love to ride. I get up in the morning, I sit and ride all day. It's like, mm, yeah, I don't know about
2: that. Yeah. He's also a golf journo who likes playing golf, so another weird element to him. So I, know, I just can't see this working out. <laughs> uh, yes, I can. We actually, we should get Tony on the show. He's, uh,
0: he's one of the good guys, so interesting stuff. <coughs> oh, pardon me. What's going to happen with professional golf in Australia, Jimmy? Uh, is COVID going to be the end of it? It's been on life
2: support for a few years, which I'm not I, suggesting is anybody's fault this, <laughs> But that's been the truth of it. I hope not. Me too. Um, hopefully there'll be a schedule for next year coming soon, which is an unbelievable statement to make, given they've already played qualifying school for the tour. So pay up your money to get a... <laughs> A card for a tour that doesn't exist at the current time is is pretty tough on a young player coming up. And I know and I know some older players who've chosen not to go to qualifying school because they don't know whether it's worth it because they don't know what's on the schedule. Um, look, the the new events last year, the, the players' series, the Athena on the WPGA side, they were all fantastic. I, I thought they were real shots in the arm and there seems to be an appetite for it with with fans, with the players, with sponsors at a smaller level. Um, but those aren't going to sustain the local tour. The Australian Opens, Australian PGA's are going to be the thing that have to hold it up. Um, and we're now going to get to almost two years without either one of those events on the men's side and a better part of that on the women's side for the Australian Opens. So um, this next couple of months will be very important to see what actually appears on the schedule and uh, and makes it worthwhile for the players to stay here because it looks like quarantines are a thing of the future for these guys. You know, I saw Matt Griffin mm. suggesting that his playing career could be done. done if he's got a quarantine for the next two or three years coming back and forth from Japan. So guys who still want to play will just have to make a move overseas and stay there, I would suggest. So um, they need to get a schedule together pretty quickly and it needs to be a pretty strong one to keep the professional game going here, which... Would be a real shame if if there wasn't a, a solid run of events because it's great for us. It's great for people to go out and watch. And, and Australia's been a great contributor to world
0: golf over the years. Absolutely, the truth yeah. of we've been one of you know one of golf's one of golf's sort of you know great success stories in so many ways. Like one of the successes of the COVID schedule we saw last year, for want of a better term, was these player series yep. events. And one of the keys to that, I thought, was going back to suburban golf courses. If mm-hmm. you follow Rob Williamson on Twitter and you see some of his fantastic stuff that he posts from over the years, that era we had golf regularly played at places like Concord. Not so much Bonnie Doon, but certainly at Concord. Mm-hmm. Is there something in that for the future that the PGA should be thinking about and taking away, or was that just a straight-out COVID-related, there's been no golf anywhere at all, it's on around the corner in suburbia, I'm going to go and watch it?
1: Yeah, well, I think the PGA of Australia has already announced – that they're working on five or six of those player series yeah, there's events. A, there's a plan to expand yeah.
2: it to a couple more, which is good. To hear. A couple more states for this year, and then mm-hmm. beyond that as well. Um, it's definitely in the work.
1: Yeah, and they've got an interesting model where they sort of have a tournament host, so they find some celebrity or or you know prominent figure. To host each of the events, and and therefore it does really make sense to move it around the country and have. Mm. There's only have so one, many of those states that can work. I, I would suggest that's right. What well, Andrew Is it doesn't Astro have Astro an Astro one yet, does he?
2: Well, I mean, Brayton Astor, for example, who <laughs> I, I know quite well, he's got a management company and looks after golfers. There's a natural oh. connection there. Jeff Ogilvy's a U.S. Open champion. There's yep. a natural connection. Corey I'd struggle McCur- to come McCur- up with another one Corey on McCur- the McCur- list. Is Andrew
0: Corey a former AFL player with a golf tourism company?
2: Yeah. If I'm not mistaken.
0: I, yeah, that's true. So he's down in Melbourne. So Ogilvy's, in Melbourne. Ogilvy's name could go on any state. Correct. have to be in
2: Victoria. Yep. So I don't think I mean, I mean, Hannah Green could be the host of- Absolutely. A, a Perth event. That or would be great, g, Mac, Mac
1: g in yeah. Tasmania. Yeah. So anyway, that, that to me was the closest we've had to something that felt like the Australasian tour from the 80s, um, where you had some personalities like an Andrew Martin come out and perform well week in, week out, and- that that sort of gives you a sense of there's um, you know that that second tier of Australian players that are developing and you start to see them on TV regularly and you, you can get some supporters for the Australian tour and let's face it that tour from the 80s is what fueled all of our interest in golf mm-hmm. to this day it sustains a lot of people um, and you know that's it's it was influential in a lot of people's golfing lives. But it it gets back to a type of golf which I find attractive which still is four round tournament golf. Um but with the player series, you know, it's mixed in with the, the men and the women, which makes it even you know amateurs. Far, far superior. Amateurs juniors. Amateurs. Amateurs. amateurs and juniors, yeah. And I think they need to get the mix a little bit better with where they where they have the tees for the women. That, that'll all evolve
2: that's a process I mean I, I caddied in one of the events and the players have been asked to give more detailed stats than normal to help balance mm. with that tease and everything like that and and I think that to to what Adrian's saying that New South Wales Open at the end at Concord it showed that the the players series stuff had, had built up a few players profiles where there was people out to watch Andrew Martin because yep. they'd heard about the world record tying Eagles at, yep. at Bonny Doon so they were out to look at and watch those guys and they, you know, they were charging for tickets at the weekend at New South Wales Open and there was a lot of people there.
1: So, And a lot more people know about Brydon McPherson now. And and these are the the Terry Gales and the Ian Stanleys of this generation. And I
2: think there's only one we, Ian Stanley. We've Stan- been missing that. There's <laughs> <laughs> so only one Ian Stanley. <laughs> we've,
1: we've been missing that for so long that we haven't had that sort of second tier of players that people enjoy and watch and we'll talk about in 20 years' time. But, you know, we're starting to develop that now.
2: And, and the, a bit of that falls on golf media in the country as well that's smaller than it ever was to tell the stories. You know, there's there's not a there's not a paper journo from, from each major no, paper no, no, that right. writes golf stories and We'll come to we'll come back to that in a moment, because that's a really interesting
0: part of the mix, as is the television stuff, which I think is actually getting easier. The television production is cheaper than it ever has been, so there's a mm. potential there that didn't exist perhaps five or six years ago. Taking off the rose coloured glasses for a moment, Logue, wasn't the real key to the success of those tournaments in the 80s, not just the Australian players, the ones that you mentioned, but if you look at the leaderboards and the results in the paper the names of the international players who were coming here on a regular basis Australia was a legitimate place for big name players to come I mean, Curtis Strange won here three times he was on the thing about golf podcasts. Yeah, John Huggan he won here in Australia three times. I thought you were going
1: towards Michael Andro or um
0: <laughs> Rich <Muir laughs> Newell. Posting a lot of his results that he's been out of the paper, but that is true that you got a lot of international players came here because Australia was seen as mm-hmm. a legitimate destination for. That's no longer the case. Can we replace that with just Australian players?
1: Yeah, to an extent. Look, there's just not enough room in the schedule. That that's what's changed between then and now. There's only still only 52 weeks in the year, but it, every tour is trying to stuff all 52 weeks full of there tournaments. Are
0: 50 events on the PGA Tour. Yeah, 50.
1: So Australia fitted the schedule quite nicely back then, um, and was with, for a bit of appearance money or just to keep in practice. You know, people saw it as a legitimate option, um, and there were different reasons why people came back over the years. Nicholas was obliged to with Spalding or whatever it was that it was a sponsorship thing. So, and then, you know, through the 80s, Norman and David Graham came back with appearance money and eventually, you know, Baker Finch as well. When you get those big
0: players, other players want to come and play in the same field. It was the great joy of Jordan Spieth playing here for several years. And and they go back and tell them how good it is. And other players in America say, well, I'll go down there and play. I want to beat Jordan.
1: Yeah. And it just shows, you know, appearance money is completely worth it. Like, there's no... Well, it doesn't
0: matter whether you agree with it or not. It's here to stay. It's It's not
1: going to change. And. The PGA Tour are now paying it
2: to their top 10 players. I I wouldn't be here without my parents uh, Danish, so... (laughs) <laughs> that's very true. Actually, that's uh,
0: very well put. Back to the media side of the equation, Jimmy. You touched on it there, and I did want to talk about this with you because you're a you'd be one of the younger members of the Australian golf media. I'm uh, not. So. Yeah, yeah. Logue yeah. isn't a member of the working media, even, nor
1: that young. But even though it's been published, nor nor or that young. Permission to treat the guest as hostile?
0: Yeah. What's the <laughs> stand down, Your Worship? Uh, what's the future for the generation after you? Where does the next generation of golf media coverage come from? Who trains them? What do they train them in? The media itself has changed. It's – how did my my mate Walter Smith put this? It's never been so easy to get published, never
2: been so hard to get paid. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. Uh, I I think that's that's media in general, sports media particularly, but Mm -hmm. golf is a particularly unique case to it. Uh, The newer people are going to have to be able to do almost everything. So this sort of thing with with podcasting with audio stuff uh, probably need to be a talented photographer or videographer, or at uh, least
0: be able to stand in front of a camera and present. If you can't take the photos,
2: correct, and then be able to write something and be able to edit and uh, and know your way around CMS systems and everything like that. You've got to have you know a lot of a lot of facets to your abilities as a as a media member now. Um, where those people come from i don't know uh i come from a purely golf background not a media background so much so um there's probably still those people but whether or not they want to get involved for like you like warren says for not that much money just for the love of the game and and to talk or write or whatever it is about golf um hopefully they're still around but where they come from i'm not too sure
0: and then the next question is so who teaches them because it's not as easy as people think, and it's not as easy as it looks necessarily. Like, you, know, you don't just say to people, because there's YouTube videos available that tell you how to change a PowerPoint in your house, you wouldn't recommend anybody go and try it. You get an electrician to do it. And the reason apprentices work for electricians is because the the electricians say, well, look, they're not going to teach you this at TAPE, but in a house this old, be careful of this, this, and this. And this. So all those things count for something. There's this new media or old media silliness that you see breaks out from time to time. But... Is everything old worthless, and who gets to pass that on, and who do they pass it on to? That's my concern, not just in golf, but generally. As newspapers disappear, newspapers have been the only training ground of journos. Every good TV and radio journal you know started in newspapers because newspapers have trained them. Yep. So there's a real, seems to me, a potential issue in the
2: future for coverage of the game, which I think deserves good coverage. Absolutely, and I think to to touch on everything old is definitely not worthless. And that's where you're gonna learn things. Whether you've you've been through and done a degree, you to, need to become a journal and gone to a newspaper and then found your way into golf or whatever. I think the the greatest learning things you can have is going to a golf tournament number one, which is why the Aussie tour is very important to our side of the golf industry because actually been at a golf tournament and writing about players, whether it's a Smiley Kaufman who shows up at the Australian Open and no one really knows he's there and talked to him about missing so many cuts and stuff or it's just walking around a golf course with Mike Clayton and talking to him about the golf course and playing tournament golf or sitting down with John Huggin and, and having a conversation. I've learned more doing that than I have ever, you know, writing or reading my own sort of work. Um, so the the older guys have a big big responsibility I suppose to pass on to the younger people but given staffs on magazines and everything like that are shrinking there's less younger people to get access to those guys and learn so there's a bit of a disconnect between probably old and new golf media I suppose um, both of which have value and both of which can learn from each other and if working together promote the game that every person involved in that is keen to promote which is often forgotten in the battle for space of uh, attention and you know, clicks and, and Twitter
0: toxicity was as low. You often like to say the Venn diagram, mm-hmm. the overlap is
1: enormous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the bits outside, just on the are- fringes, and we focus on those because yeah. you know the narcissism of small differences. But the yeah, I mean, to me, it's what sort of content do people want to consume, and a lot of. Don't That's a dangerous media. question in some ways. I'll it come it, is, back to it is really like because I think it infects people wanted people every wanted to consume Who Magazine
0: with Diana on the cover right up until she died in a tunnel, being chased by a photographer who'd yep. been taking those photos for years. Yep. And then those same people who wanted it, uh, they didn't want it anymore.
1: Absolutely. And it, look, it infects every part of the game, like we we're just talking about with the PGL. To me, a lot of the initiatives in there are reducing golf down to little snippets of content. It's not like a four-round tournament, eighty-five. British Open or something is here's an effect masterpiece yeah. snackable content yeah snack that was yeah. used at me one well time. that's
0: a bit old now snackable that's, content yeah
2: good lord well that's that's I think watching the oh Tiger Woods entire fourth round at the Masters in under two minutes as opposed to watching the entire coverage of the fourth round of the Masters, which is something I would have always done, but everyone I've, wants to watch it quickly. I, which I think is more compelling for the viewer
1: as well as the golf is supposed to unfold. Sorry, I, I jumped in on mm-hmm. you there. So this, well, yeah. And so what type of content do I think we are... Like we're implicitly talking about the sort of content that we like, which is... Um, the right type. The right <laughs> <laughs> type. Right. Isn't it? And look, I, I enjoy... Are really well considered long form golf writing, and where do you get that? You just don't get it any place mm. except for magazines and, and stuff where actual journalists are working. Mm. Um, it, it's it's reemerging in things like the Golfers Journal and Caddy Mag and a huge contributor
0: in the golf space. I think
1: podcasts are remarkable, aren't they? Because you can get just so much content into and a small amount of. It's a very good Garrett
0: Morrison stuff that he does for the fried egg. Those essays on
1: green, for oh, example, superb. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. yeah. Incredible Fabulous. production values and extremely well executed. And but just taking uh, the the sort of production that you see in non golf podcasts and and applying it to golf, um, but you know, there is a lot of work in that. You know. And Garrett, Garrett does it all by himself. no yeah. skills involved in that, too. exactly. And, and technologies, and some of those other podcasts that he's modeling that on. Are, you know, they've got teams of people that put all that together. Um, but look, the result is remarkable. But and it's such a shame that it actually goes away so quickly out of your consciousness, like when it's replaced next week in your podcast feed by the next episode of whatever it is, then. You know, it it fades away so quickly and it's disproportionate with the effort that goes into it. And that's what I think magazines find as well. And, you know, they're They're like magazines, they're they're, they're things you go back to. Uh, The
0: the thing about the printed word that's always made it superior to television and radio is its longevity. Stuff that I wrote 25 years ago, I can still go back and find it and read as can other people. Nobody else is doing that, obviously. I'd be the only one who would. But there's a truth to that. I found, I once went on the holidays down the Mornington Peninsula. Uh, a girlfriend at the time, her family had a holiday house there. And just on the bookshelf in the holiday house was a book of, I think they were Herbert Warren Wind tournament reviews. A full oh, book of them. Wow. Of all sorts of tournaments from all sorts of years. I spent three days reading it. Yep. Yeah, it would have been 50 or 60 years old at the time. I guarantee you it's still on the shelf down there so for somebody else to pick up and read. Podcasts have that about them. This is where people get mixed up between radio and podcast. Both are sound, but magazines and books are both words too, but they're completely different products. Mm -hmm. And podcasting has that. I can go back and sometimes do, pull up Garrett Morrison's podcast that he did on Green and listen back to it for something that I heard that I wanted to use perhaps in Mm -hmm. something I was doing. So they've got that. Not everybody's going to do that, but that's one really major difference about podcasting as a medium is that it's there forever. If you subscribe to a show... All the backup episodes are there in your app. You can go back and listen to any one of them
1: again and again. So, yeah, that's a bit of a sidetrack. There was a, a podcast, like, so Jeff Shackleford, I, I really enjoy almost everything that he does, but he had for a while that podcast, The Shack House, Shack or House. something like that, which was almost out of character. But Jeff can kind of do anything, and it's all good. But that Shack House podcast, I listened for a little while, but it just burns out of your memory incredibly quickly like it's just gone and and they disappeared because of lack of sponsors well I think they lost their sponsor and it was gone and not missed <laughs> like it's but however if state of the game went away where I, th- I think Jeff gets the opportunity to actually talk at length and explore ideas more than he does in any other format then that would be a huge loss um, and I don't know there's this Balance between you know who's producing that content that I want to consume, it's still there. There's no no worries about it going away. It's still there. It's just that the the people creating that content aren't getting very well rewarded for it. Jeff, and Jeff's a good sample. Like he would have been very well rewarded for the shack house. And but you know it's. He's not making millions out of the state of the game. <laughs>
2: no, no. He's made
1: double what I'm making
2: As a as, it. It. as a cart path savant, would you qualify as a C-list celebrity for the US Open Media Day that Jeff spoke about last week?
1: No, I don't know. Probably, yeah. Let's
2: not open that. would be open
1: quite open. happy to talk about cart paths at Tory Pines.
0: As regular listeners will know, I really relish these discussions that are kind of about golf but kind of not, and I hope that you do too because there's plenty more of it coming after the break. We're going to talk PGL or Golf Super League as it's now known. Uh, and lots of other stuff as well. Now, regular listeners also know that the whole purpose of this break is to tell you about our network sponsor, thegolfsociety.com.au, online retailer of some of the best names in fashion, Hugo Boss, Ralph Lauren, Under Armour, G4 Golf Shoes, the list goes on, accessories as well. The important part, though, as a Talking Golf listener, you get a 20% discount, even if stuff is already on sale. Go to thegolfsociety.com.au and use the code TG at checkout. You can even do that or you listen to the rest of the show. The issue for me, Jimmy, this is where I think, this is what I think is being lost. And only those in the industry would understand this. Reporting is absolutely crucial to going on to then be able to cover the game in different ways, to long form writing and feature writing. And reporting is like carpentry it's a series of tools and a series of. That. Reporting on a golf tournament. Over four days, do the Thursday, or over six days, I'd say, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's the hard work. It's not glamorous. It's this, it's almost this throwaway stuff that people forget. You write about it on Wednesday. It's changed by Thursday. You write about something else. But that's where you learn all the skills, isn't it? And that, to me, is where perhaps we lack. The mistake I would have made as a youngster if the avenues were open, and it's just the avenues are open. There's no barriers to entry now to becoming a golf writer or producer or social media influence or whatever it might be. You don't realise those things and you can't realise those things until you've been around it for a while to understand the importance of it. Huggins brilliant because he's a reporter at heart. And that's what I think we might miss. if You, you can't do what Huggins does so brilliantly now unless you can do the Tuesday to Sunday at the tournament.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you're 100% right there's no barriers. So you can, you can get into it if you want to. I went from selling Mars bars and range balls to writing golf stories. So, you know, it can happen. But the reporting of golf tournaments is, is one of the most important aspects of it. Um, there's, I cannot understand personally why, if you worked in the golf media, you wouldn't be wanting to go and report on golf tournaments. It's the most exciting thing I do all year, is tournament weeks, whether they be Does overseas golf. say more or about year,
0: you than sad. golf, though? Mm.
2: <laughs> Professionally, <laughs> so that's the most exciting thing I do all year. Understood. Uh, but that, that is, that's, where, that's the lifeblood of professional golf. Uh, now, professional golf is only one aspect of my job. You know, golf courses, golf equipment's a huge part of my job. So, um, but the professional side, being at a tournament, talking to players, and doing that is the that's the exciting part. But being good at that, going out and finding a exclusive interview with a player who maybe has a story to tell, is something that teaches you a lot. And compressing that into a, an interesting story, um, but the difficulty of that. Is that, like I said before, teams on, say, a magazine have shrunk so much. Escaping your desk is a very difficult thing if you've got to write stories for a magazine, write stories for a website, if you have another, uh, you know, another platform like a podcast, if you've got at least the key three social media uh, platforms, newsletters, if you're then involved in any way in, you know, coordinating advertising or anything like that the time to actually get out and go and cover a golf tournament is very minimal and it's time consuming, but it's an important part of the craft. So I'm fortunate being at golf Australia magazine and working under Brendan James, who understands that and is a reporter at heart. So he puts a premium on that. Others haven't. And that's to the detriment of the industry. Um, Hopefully that means that the, the better sort of quality of, of media and journal comes out still, but we definitely won't get as many and, and we're losing good people. I mean, Justin Falconer who was at mm. Golf Australia and previously I Seek Golf uh, he was a triple threat he could take photos do video and write thank god he's not good looking that's right and Cause he, cause uh, he's young as well yeah god he had a lot in his corner didn't he <laughs> but he's lost to the game of golf it might be temporary but he's gone on elsewhere um, he's what I would suggest is a bit of a prototypical person of who would be a a key part of the golf media in the future. So um, we need to not lose those people. We need to still develop them, but it's getting harder and harder because tournament, like you say, reporting is very important and there's not as many tournaments to cover. Getting time to do it is more difficult Um, and there's less places to actually have your reporting produced because a lot of the newspapers don't want to run any column space on a golf tournament unless something bizarre happens or Tiger, Jason or Adam are here.
0: Newspapers really are about celebrity. This was the Norman effect. Norman was, as we've just discussed, with who you'd get paid to go and watch. You know, All of us here would go and watch Tyrrell Hatton or Tommy Flibbert and the, the public. Won't. Well, the newspaper's are only interested in the public person. They're only interested in McElroy and Spieth. That's how that works. I take your point. It, what strikes me is, having been in this business on and off for so many years, the workload just continues to increase. So first, initially you had the magazine. That's hard enough for three people to put out a magazine every month. You've got to think of the content, you've got to do the content, you've got to create the content. Then you add it on the internet. You had a website, so you had to do bits and pieces of that. The staff didn't grow, just the workload. And, of course, now you can't double up. You can't just put the same thing on the website that you're going to put in the magazine, otherwise there's no point to the magazine. Now you add in, as you say, at least three social media channels, being Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And they're not once-a-day gigs. They are a constant feeding. It it reminds me of the bloke in the the steam train who's shoveling the coal. There's no brakes. The coal has to keep going in because the thing has to keep being fed. And I think that's an issue. We need to find the business model that can fund enough people to do that properly. The interest is out there in the game, but there's never been so much free media to consume. So how do you... I wonder whether... Quality eventually dictates that people end up there. That's what you would hope, that those who do it best attract the most eyeballs and therefore by default. Or is there another media model? This podcasting thing is interesting in a media model because it does allow you to cut out the middleman. A lot of podcasts are just paid
1: for direct by their listeners. Mm -hmm. It can be very cheap to produce a podcast as well as opposed to video or some of those other things that were considered to be essential parts of that media that you were describing – um, or you can't attract a sponsor without video. And, you know, it won't actually get any eyeballs without video. That Like, that stuff really... That's not true. And look, everything's got its place. And audio has its place. It has its
0: place in the gym, on the train, in the car, uh, in the office at night as people are going to sleep. I mean, people don't want to watch video all the time. Video is very glamorous. People love the notion of video and seeing video, seeing themselves on video. But it's not. It doesn't mean that there's no place for audio only. Well, po- yeah,
1: and podcasts are so effective... There's such an effective investment of your time, I think, if you're creating content because you can do a little bit of prep to think about some stuff that you're going to talk about. Or or not. Or not. (laughs) Or just turn up every week. (laughs) And then you can compress... The, the effort to get it out into the world is, yeah, you just turn up and speak for about an hour and then you go away and, and then get on air. with your day. Complain about the coffee, complain and about the walk and go back to work. That and occasionally, on the internet.
0: occasionally complain that it's not been released quickly enough for your liking because you were keen to show it to your friends.
1: <laughs> so, I don't know who you're talking about. Um, the uh, But as opposed to writing an article, which like an opinion piece or something which both of you have to churn out every week um where you've got to think about it you've got to draft it you've got to, like iterate how long did the Kamaruka over it? piece
0: take you by the way people if you haven't read the Kamaruka piece in the Golf Australia magazine last uh, issue, that would
2: have been uh, I think that was April issue which would have
0: issue, gone off that. the
2: shelves but it's it's now on our website okay the lost golf yep. course go and have a read it oh,
0: really is a a so I'll, put a <laughs> yes. I'll put a
1: link in the show notes I'll put a link that should just magically appear in the show yeah, notes show have you got
0: your list there but the it show? is definitely worth a read it's it's it fantastic is so how long did that take you uh, and as a process
1: that's work that's hard work yeah it, it was a, you know, a few days investment actually going down there and um well, that's the doing some photography and stuff on the site and yeah and getting to experience it all but then uh, drafting and everything i don't know, it was a couple of weeks it's 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 a lot of effort for something that a
0: lot of hours
1: probably gets be- a lot less people reading it than say one episode of this podcast would well, that, well-
0: Yes and
1: no. Here's where I think the media is going to change.
0: It's not going to be just a game of most eyeballs wins in the longer term because the truth is, this podcast is a prime example, golf podcasts in general, there may only need to be 1,000 people in the world who need to hear your message. And if you get to all of them, that's money well spent. So the notion that you've got a podcast that's got 30,000 listeners doesn't add anything to your return on investment there. So it's a different sort of media. It's a very targeted, narrow-casted mm-hmm. sort of. And that changes the model. I don't think the advertising model is We've got an entire industry of media built around most eyeballs wins. But I think you'll start to see a lot. Well, we've always had a bit of bespoke publishing.
2: Yeah, I, publishing I think and so. Sort of and, and to touch on what Adrian was talking about, about what content is digested and, and attracts people, from looking, in my role, looking after all of our digital stuff, Every different element of golf content that we publish attracts a certain eyeball, but otherwise, we wouldn't do it. And that could be long form magazine stories, short opinion pieces like You and I Write, uh, tournament previews, our so called expert tips. No, oh, i betting. That's crazy. The four, people read four blokes who you know, know nothing, know <laughs> very little, but maybe more than other people is this hugely interesting <laughs> thing for people. Equipment reviews, there, there's, everything's got its little bit of interest in a pocket of the golf industry. Um, so that's why we do them all. Uh, yeah, the long-form stories, for someone like Adrian who hasn't done it before, I can understand that investment of time uh, and then you get to produce it into a magazine and then you don't actually know how many people read it. You don't necessarily get all the feedback of people telling you how good it is or how bad it is. Um, it, it, it's a, it could be a bit of a – you feel like you're pushing a rock up a hard place. But if you, if you put good work in, it'll get read and people will notice it. Um, but good long-form work requires, like he said, a couple of weeks of putting in the hours and doing the research, whether it's about Rory McIlroy at, um, Kiwa Island, going back and watching the entire tournament from 2012, I think it was, and going through his stats and seeing if why... If you're can wondering who's win.
0: writing the PGA preview for
2: Golf Australia magazine, I think we've just had a bit of a clue there. <laughs> Correct. A very well-researched PGA preview, I might say. But th- that's, that's part of that long-form stuff. The short-form stuff is much more bang find a topic and, and and pump it out in in Rod's case occasionally pump it out for the second or third time in a couple of years but <laughs> that's true. That it, is there, true there's different elements I've got three opinions got three opinions
1: the story writes itself it's like the words are just coming out of me like but there's there's, always been there's, there. there's there's people who are attracted
2: to all elements of the content which is why it's important that we keep producing hmm different stuff why we got into podcasts at at the mag and everything like that because someone will find something interesting and then i think as opposed to that most eyeballs or anything it becomes about the quality of your content which i think we have seen a benefit of in the last couple of years about how we do things in the equipment space for example um you know that i've got a heavy background in club fitting club repair all that sort of stuff so i test all of the product that comes through so there's a consistent message and Mm. we get positive feedback on that not because more people read a club test than watch one of the guys on YouTube, but because, you know, of how we do things. Quality of engagement, isn't it? That's really what you're after. Absolutely. If 10
0: people watch it and 10 people are fully into it, it's better than 100 people watching it and only one being interested. That research you're doing on the 2012 PJ, this is where daily reporting becomes important. I've had this discussion with Mike Clayton before who writes amazingly daily at golf tournaments, but not much of that day-to-day reporting. And you'll be finding this. Those little details that appear in the 15th paragraph of Thursday's story about what club McElroy hit on the 12th hole will be crucial to writing something interesting for this preview. And if we stop doing that, and that's the danger, that's going to stop happening, that kind of coverage, all the coverage that follows suffers because of it. That's why daily boring tournament reports are so important Mm -hmm. because they've got the details that will never be remembered or mentioned again but they're in that story for some reason and that will be important and you would have found that already if not
2: you will absolutely i think one of the great one of the great learning experiences personally for me in covering golf tournaments and then feeling that benefit is going to augusta national where you can't have your phone so you've got to learn to carry a notebook again and Make notes out there. Barbaric. Exactly right. (laughs) I can't read my own handwriting, so it's hard work for me. Try reading (laughs) Clayton's But it's going out there and it's making a note of everything you can while you're out there, whether it be something that happens with a certain player or a crowd reaction or something on Thursday afternoon, that you've got that note there ready to go on Sunday afternoon when you're wrapping the tournament or in – 12 months time when you're previewing the next one if you've got something that you've paid attention to that gives you that element of you know a unique story a unique angle or just a good story which is what it what it needs you know a lot of a lot of tournament coverage i think now can be written based off just ideas and opinions
0: asap the transcripts you can you can do a half decent job of covering a tournament but Going to a golf tournament gives you a level of coverage that you cannot get any other way.
2: And I think when it comes to players, that's where you get lazy takes on players and an inability in a certain area. You know, whether it be Adam Scott's a bad putter, Rory McIlroy's a bad wedge player, whatever. Um, there's a lot more to that than just looking at a stat or hearing someone else say it who might be you know, coming from a, a, a point of knowledge. Being at a golf tournament or looking or doing the research yourself is where you find out more about that and how it then relates to that event you're looking at or anything like that, which is where good good tournament coverage comes from. Um, it's not a it's not a personal opinion on the tournament, but it's a personally researched opinion to then form what you're talking about, which is very important and what makes it interesting rather than just they're playing at Kiowa Island, Pete Dye designed the golf course, they played a Ryder Cup
1: there, it's hard. There, there's something I, I remember reading an article about Formula One many years ago when what? Schumacher was still. Why? Well, He's also watching Race to well, I used to, You're an NFL fan to, too, aren't you? you I used to enjoy American it. football. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy that a little bit. Yeah, a wide range of interest. Um, the, uh, <laughs> but this, anyway, this Schumacher article from, it was about Michael Schumacher from about, I don't know, it was about is 10 ago. that why years it was ago. called the
0: Schumacher article?
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is going great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <the>, uh, <laughs> uh, it was it was written by a journalist who was you know on site at the Grand Prix and he just sat at a corner for like the entire race and we we find this these milliseconds that F1 drivers differentiate themselves on like completely unrelatable mm, like course. you know over the course of a one one and a half minute circuit how are they uh, how are they differentiating themselves by those tiny microseconds they're, they're fractions of shots in golf aren't they yeah that's right one shot a week. And and this guy was saying, you could tell that that guy was a better driver by the way they were going through that corner. And they're all taking the same line. So, it's not about just the line they're taking. It's the fact that Schumacher's car was going through there with this stability like it was on rails that nobody else was able to replicate. And partly that's the car might be in a better ride, but it's also – it just can't be all that. Like this guy, it's the human element, isn't it? Yeah, this it's the same guy thing has with something. Music,
0: it's the same thing with golf. It's the, you can, we've talked about this before. You can watch Dustin Johnson hit a golf ball as a complete non-golfer and go, "Oh, he'd have to be one of the best in the world straight away." You know, <laughs> he'd have to be one of the best at that in the world.
1: That's <laughs> well. There's that. I love that story. It's at the end of uh, the Grand Slam, I think. The Bobby Jones book by Mark Frost, um, where it describes Bobby Jones just having a practice round somewhere in England. Um, in the lead up to a British Open and Herbert Warren Wind was there accompanying his group and they were just near a boundary fence and some farmer in the paddock next to them just stopped and watched them hit and Bobby Jones is teed off and the farmer's just like flabbergasted. He's, like, he's going, he must be the best golfer in the world. <laughs> <A> very <laughs> astute farmer. And he, he ends the book on that anecdote. It's was, uh, it was a really great anecdote. But yeah, there is something to seeing... Uh, live golf and and seeing the best in the world do what they do.
2: I mean, even sitting at one hole at a golf tournament and watching every group come through, you'll and, see something different and, and, you'll, and taking and, notes on what mark, club they hit off the tee and
0: trying to define.
1: Yeah, some people and do that. What position? Yeah, where the ball lands and what score they ultimately get. Yeah, that's that's some weirdos would do that. Some weirdos would do that, wouldn't they? Interesting.
2: But but, you, but you're right that people who don't know will pick up instantly. Yeah, you know. I took someone to a driving range recently, never played golf, but wanted to give it a try. And even they discerned from the way people walked onto the driving range carrying their golf bag, who knew what they were doing more than others. And you can tell that at the top level as well. You can watch a tour player and how they go about it and go, oh, yeah. yeah. We well, know straight away <laughs> if,
0: they're, if they're carrying the bag, they're not the player. So once you know the game a bit, that's untrue. always... Untrue.
2: In my brief caddy stint this summer, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, you can ask Aaron Pike about carrying his own bag uphills <laughs> Yeah,
0: indeed. Got photographic evidence. Just on that, very quickly, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because you really could get lost in the Warren underneath. This l- latest trend. The statistics and the the Mark Crossfield, Lou Stagnar, Scott Fawcett, the decade system, all of this, applying all this to golf and the... What feels to me like turning it into an accounting system, as opposed to a game played by people, almost removing that human element. Can it ultimately work? Does it play into what you're talking about there, with Schumacher being clearly better in the same equipment?
1: Yeah. Look, I, mean, I like that stuff. Um, I just not. I don't don't like necessarily how the opinions put forth sometimes, but I, I think there's a lot to that. I enjoy. I think I first heard uh, Scott Fawcett on the uh, on your Righto. mark podcast or something, oh, the Mark fun. and Woman one. I mean, yeah. And I thought this is, this makes total sense. This is the most interesting thing I've heard in golf instruction for a long time. And I, media- I apply it to my own game, like in a half-assed sort of way, where I'm sort of just, I'm giving it a little bit of thought at least, like what's my dispersion pattern and where should I aim? And um, I think there's so much merit to all of that. I just don't think it detracts from the other. it doesn't, it's not a, it's a false dichotomy that it's that versus hmm. what we like about the game. Um, it's just a complete false dichotomy, and why people arguing over it. It's just it adds something to that discussion without necessarily invalidating everybody else's approach to the game. Um, I, I think both sides are guilty of that. They're, they're, you know, Scott Fawcett stuff, and Decade, and Lou Stagner. They they don't necessarily have all of the answers. It's it's, not, it's well, not. Can you okay? If you could have
0: all of the answers at some point, wouldn't that spoil it? Once the Rubik's cube was solved, it became dull, didn't it? It was a fad. Then, I mean, when everyone could do it in three minutes, nobody bought a Rubik's cube anymore. I don't think that'll ever happen to golf, but isn't that that same
1: logical progression and path? Well, the playing fields in golf are so variable. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's pretty unlikely, and and that's where the no, systems there is an need to be golf anyway. So yeah, and and it's still there's so much, so many more elements to golf, like its beauty and and the um, just being out you know in a golf course is, is a, an amazing experience so uh, and i just don't think you're going to lose that from the game ever um, and, and none of us hit level. the ball well enough like the no. variability thing is is such a big factor like well, even at the top level you see that don't you that yeah the, the nice dispersion patterns that you see sometimes have well, very quite often have outliers that go way beyond <laughs> the little the little tight oval circle you can draw around a dispersion pattern and uh, that's certainly going to always add interest to the game Start, I always feel like a golf divided along there.
0: artists and engineers, and I always feel like I'm more attracted to the artists than the engineers, whereas I think you're actually quite engineering as well as artistic. That's what I feel like. Yeah, I'd rather watch Seve than Ben Hogan.
2: But I, but there's always been that element. I mean, yeah, this is agree- the most advanced agree. version of it, and oh, I, I, have, I yeah. fall very much in line with Adrian. I find it interesting. There's no absolutes in golf. No. That's the thing, and, you know, Nicholas was – the guy doing his own yardage books and brought that to the game. And that was very much more the engineering mathematical side than Sevi or, or any of those other guys. So there's room for both. Hmm. Um, oh, and what a surprise absolutely. that a Twitter argument about it is not the most wholesome and well-regulated thing. I mean, shock, you knocked me over with a feather. but And will never end. Correct. That's the beauty of it.
0: Yeah, Twitter, exactly. you should be paying these blokes because this discussion will never end. So Twitter will live as
2: long as this discussion Well, breaks. if, if Colt most teased it up in one PGA Tour event, he might be eligible for some of the pip, I reckon, with how much action he's had on Twitter the last couple of weeks. Did Scott Force end up going on his on his radio show? I think he did. Yeah, he did. I, like, I haven't like, heard Earlier this week, I haven't heard it, but I believe, yeah, earlier this week. Which and those are two guys with valid sides to an argument. US
0: amateur PGA tour player,
2: (laughs) guy knows a bit about golf, about playing the game, and and people I'd be interested to listen discuss the concept, but trying to argue in you know the space of a Twitter, a Twitter, yeah, that's what Twitter's not great for. It's good for
0: starting conversations, but it's not good for for having them. Yeah, it's interesting. Although of course it does raise the always interesting question: a lot of golf pros have got no idea how they do it, no idea about swing planes, and no idea. They just play, and they're good. And they just know how, how to get the ball around
2: in the least number shots. They couldn't tell you anything about how they do it. Lots of them. Well, that's, that's the again, it's the same thing that artists and engineers are yeah, right. dealing with golf clubs for, for tour players for years, and some guys would just go, just do what you did last time because that worked. Do you want to know what it is? No. Or other guys would have every loft lie, every single thing written down, and they knew it off by heart. There's room for everyone in that in golf. That's the beauty of it, and particularly at the top level. So there's no need to, to look for one answer. Everyone's got their own way of, trying to play their best so it's
0: a great thing about golf isn't find your own way to get to the hole
2: i think that'll do us well for a conversation that had
0: no direction at all i think it was moderately interesting but we'll find out when we see the numbers like good of you to come in thank you mate thanks for the danish thanks for the coffee
1: thanks rod it's literally the least i could have done
0: it really is if you could just try to bring a little bit of good attitude next time it'll really cap it off it'd be like the icing on
1: the danish just try it's a big effort, you know. That just there's so many factors working against me on this commute. <laughs> you know,
0: you, know what you are my friend. Old. That's what's happened to you. If you want to know, there's a time when someone gets old. Yeah, it's happened to Logan the last five weeks.
2: Before he was fine. Now he's old. So well, welcome to the club. He, when he came back from Barn Bugle, there was lots of complaining about not Barn Bugle, but other elements. So maybe he just oh, should just—he was all uh, stiff and sore. He should just embrace the properly. curmudgeon yeah. within him. That's yeah. obviously yeah. finding its way out, like a squat John
0: Huggin. Who's already squat. So there you go. Jimmy, good of you to come over, mate. We'll have to get you back in. Most enjoyable. Thank you.
2: Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: At uh, least, literally the least we could do. Episode 74, The Good Good Podcast in the books. Episode 75, All Things Going Well, will be along next week. And we'll look forward to your company then here on the Good Good Goal Podcast.